Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 57th program in this series, where I'm in the Gospel of John chapter 11. This has to do with the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And so beginning in verse 1, it says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now this may sound a little awkward, where it says, He heard that he was sick, He stayed two more days in the place where he was. Obviously, this was a serious situation. As Martha and Mary, they sent someone to go speak with Jesus and tell him that Lazarus was really sick. And in saying this, this of course implies that Jesus needs to hurry and get to where Lazarus is in order to help him recover. And if you notice in verse 3, in verse 3 it says, Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. There's an emphasis here in order to state, look, there is someone who you love, and this person is sick, and what they are saying is that, listen, you better come, because, of course, You love him, and you don't want anything bad to happen to him, and so you should respond. You should do something, and do something soon. Because if you don't, well, then we might question how much you really love Lazarus, and in addition to that, how much do you love the rest of us? And so there is a subtlety of extortion that is expressed here. By Mary and Martha. There is a subtlety of this. Extortion in the sense that you will do what we want. You are going to come here and you are going to come here right away. If you don't, well, then we are going to say that you're not as loving as you ought to be. Now, if Jesus fails to get there as soon as they need him to get there, then he will have violated their expectations. That is one way that they can perceive this. And if he has violated their expectations, 
Well, now they can use something else. They can use a form of blackmail. And blackmail has to do with the idea that he has failed to do something. He has done something wrong. In effect, what he has done—that is wrong—is that he did not come soon enough in order to heal Lazarus. Jesus has failed to do something. Therefore, he owes them, and he had better do something. In order to compensate them for the loss, something of some kind, or he is going to be declared to be an unloving kind of person. That would be a form of blackmail that could easily follow from what will transpire next. Now, I'm not saying with absolute certainty that Mary and Martha were intending to engage in a form of extortion or potential blackmail. Or that this was a type of manipulation by saying, you know, the one who you love, you love, you love this person. That person is sick. You better come and do something. I'm not suggesting that there is an absolute manipulation that is taking place here, but because this is a common, a very common way for people to relate to others, I'm suggesting that this could. Very well, be the case because it is a normal form of communication. It is a normal style of relating to other people, especially when you have someone who can do something that you can't do. When there is someone in your life who can do something that you can't do for yourself, then in some ways this person may be obligated. To do something that you can't do, they may be required. You may define the relationship in that context. There are a lot of people who define their relationships with others according to the utility that other people have. Another way of saying this is that I will have a relationship with you if you're worth something to me, if you'll do something for me, especially those things that I can't do for myself, and that's why I want you in my life. I want you in my life because you will do things for me. That is a relationship based on utility, and I'm not saying that this is the kind of relationship that was defined between Jesus and these folks. What I'm saying is, is that this is common. This is not unusual. This is a way that people will often relate to someone else, and Jesus had the ability to heal Lazarus. He just healed a man who was born blind. Obviously, he has the ability to heal people who are in situations that are quite uncomfortable, and Lazarus is in one of those. And so, with this kind of a background, let's go back and look at verse five. In John chapter eleven, verse five. Now Jesus loved Martha, and her sister, and Lazarus. He did. So, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now, this is not what they probably would expect. It's unlikely that this is what they expected. As we continue to read, I think you'll see that this is not what they expected. For him to love them, and because he loved them, he waited two more days. Now, this is not 
necessarily the kind of love that they wanted. Jesus would say, this absolutely is a way of defining the love that he has for them, but this may not correlate very well with the kind of love that they want. And this is important to understand. When people say that God loves you, which is true, you might reply with something that sounds like, I don't think so, because if he loved me, he would, and then you can proceed to make a list of all the things that he should do for you, as an example. I encounter people all the time, as an example, who say that God is not a loving God because he does not do, and then they proceed with a list. For example, he does not help those who are in need. There are a lot of people in the world who are suffering. There are a lot of people in the world who are dying, who are suffering from war, who are suffering from situations and conflicts that may not have anything to do with their decisions at all. But he doesn't do anything about this. And so because he doesn't do what I think God should do, I declare that he is not a loving God, not anywhere near to my satisfaction. And that's what people do. They make a definition of love, and they say that God must conform to this definition. And a lot of these definitions, they have to do with the idea that God can do something that they can't do. And so God needs to do what they can't do. Sometimes people will intentionally be irresponsible. They will intentionally make poor decisions. They will sometimes be self-destructive in their own personal lives. And then they will make the claim that there are other people who can help them. There are other people who can do things for them that they fail to provide for themselves, and so somebody else who can provide for them should provide for them, because if they don't, well, then that person is not loving. That is not a good person. And when they fail to do so, well, now we're going to use this as blackmail. We're going to threaten them and say they had better correct this sin that they have committed And they better correct it soon or else we are going to hurt them. For example, we will call their friends or their family and we will say this person is evil because they are not doing what they could do to help someone in need. Myself, I am definitely one who is in need and they are one who has great ability. And you know, the way it should be is everyone according to their need and everyone according to their ability. And some people will intentionally make sure that they have no abilities so that they can be the people who are in need and others who have abilities will serve them, will be their servants who will give them all that they desire so that they do not feel 
uncomfortable. This is normal. And this is how people want God to relate to them. This is how they want to relate to God and how they want God to relate to them. But it turns out that God has some feelings about this matter. God has his own ideas about the way things should be. And it turns out that what he thinks is important. What he thinks actually matters. And if he doesn't want to conform to these definitions that people make about how a person would be loving or how they would be hateful, hurtful, and evil, if he does not agree with those definitions, then he's not going to comply with those kinds of definitions. In this case, Jesus waited where he was. He stayed where he was for another two days, long enough for Lazarus to die and be buried, to be put in a tomb. That's how long he waited. Why? Because he loved them. Now, there's more to say about this, but from their point of view, they would say that 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 is not a representation of someone who is loving. If Jesus was really loving, he would have come a lot sooner. He could have come sooner, and he would have kept Lazarus from dying. But in this case, Jesus waited, and he allowed Lazarus to suffer and die, and for Mary and Martha to suffer and watch their brother suffer until the point of death. And they watched him be put in that tomb. This was considered to be a loving act by Jesus. From his point of view, he was being loving. In this case, Jesus expresses his love by allowing this to happen and by not intervening in what takes place. Now, he does say that this is for the glory of God. And we have to note, we have to pay attention to the fact that Jesus does go and he does raise Lazarus from the dead. And so the glory of God is definitely manifested through what Jesus did. But it's important to note that even if Jesus did not raise Lazarus from the dead, even if he didn't go to see Mary and Martha, that does not mean that he loves them any less than how he loves them. And it doesn't mean that he has failed to love them in a godly way. He may not be loving them in the way that they want, but he loves them in the way that God loves. And you should pay attention to this. You should grow to learn, to know, to understand the love of God. And it's important to understand that the way that he loves is not necessarily the way that you want him to love. And you might be very tempted to condemn God for his quality of love. You may be very tempted to declare that his love falls short of where it should be. 
you might very well say to God, you do not love like you said that you do. But he does. The problem is not with God. The problem is with you in this case. You are going to have to understand that there is a God. He is real. He is the one who has created all things, and he is the one who has created you. And he is the one who gets to define what love is, how it is expressed, and when, and in what ways he wants to do it. That is his decision. And what he says and what he does is right and it is good. And if you have a problem, if you have an issue with how he does things, then it really is a distortion that you have and not a problem that God has that he needs to correct in some way so that you approve of him. So that he loves in the way that you approve of, that you say is acceptable, that he must love according to your permission. And I know that might sound a little awkward, but there are a lot of people who relate to God in this way. I encounter them all the time. And he is so loving that he allows people to be on his planet, and have this kind of attitude towards him. This, of course, is temporary. They are eventually going to physically die, and they are not going to enjoy being on this planet in the way that they are. So it is temporary. He's only going to allow this for so long. He is only going to tolerate this for so long, and then you are done, and you can have a conversation with him personally about this when you see him. And I suspect there will be a lot of people who will use that opportunity to lash out to God, to express their anger, to express their disappointment, to express their frustration with him because he didn't love like they expected him to love. And it's possible that God may patiently wait and listen before he says, okay, are you done? You can go to hell now. That might very well be the conclusion. And then God is going to forget about them. That's what he's going to do. He's just going to forget about them. They will remember him, but he will forget about them and he will get on with his life in eternity. He will. That's exactly what he's going to do. And so it's important to understand that this describes, this describes the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you, that he wants to have with people in general. He wants to have the kind of relationship such that even though he is able to do all things for you, he's not. He's not going to do all things for you. He wants to have a different kind of relationship with you. The kind of relationship where there is mutual participation. That you can do things with him. That he can do things with you. But that there is a relational experience 
such that there are two people who work together, who do things together. And being a person who is available to receive your charity is not legitimate participation. There are a lot of people who say, I exist so that other people can do good things for me. And that's my service. My service, my participation, is that I provide good people with someone to give to. I provide good people with someone to do things for. That is my act of service. That is my contribution. I make God look good. I make you look good because I give you someone to help. And so because I perform this service for you, that is my contribution. And you know, it turns out that because I am so needy, you owe me. I have done this for you. And in order to make this equitable, you owe me more. This is the kind of attitude that I see all the time that people have with each other. And this is how people relate to God. That even if he does great things for them, they will relate to him in the sense of, and yes, now I expect to see some rewards later for being a person who was in such great need that you helped me, you fulfilled your obligation of being a good God, and I provided you with a person that makes you look good. And so I expect to be rewarded when I go to heaven for this, in addition to how you help me. This is exactly how people relate to God. And folks, this is not the kind of relationship that he is going to have with people. It just isn't. That is not the way things are. That is not the way things will ever be. In this case, the delay was for the glory of God. But this is not the only reason why God may delay what he does in people's lives, or why he may do nothing in people's lives. And it will still be a loving act. The reason why, folks, is because there are greater things, there are more important things than making sure that you don't feel uncomfortable. There are more important things. God wants people who know him to be in his life. He wants people who want to be in his life, who are in his life because they want to be in his life, because they want to be an active participant, and not in the sense of providing God with someone to help, but in the sense of being a part of the work of God, in a sense of helping God also. And so there is a greater objective that God has that for the most part people don't want. He has a greater objective. And it turns out that in order to know your God, sometimes it is necessary for you to experience suffering. It is necessary for you to experience loss so that he can make use of that in a way that he can reveal himself to you. Reveal who he is to you, so that there can be an increase in the quality 
of the relationship between you and God. Suffering is a useful tool when it comes to this. For you to feel uncomfortable is good in many ways so that the love of God can be revealed to you in ways that you never would have considered, that you never would have understood. And it's not his fault. The fact that he can do something about it and he doesn't, doesn't mean that he is responsible for you feeling uncomfortable. There are greater objectives. There are greater things. There is greater love to be revealed. For example, when people feel uncomfortable, there is an opportunity for inspiration to grow, to change. And the discomfort and sufferings that people experience are the consequences of what we do to ourselves and what people do to each other. This is not the fault of God, but he is able to use it to help us to grow, to change, to mature, and to know him more, to know the love that he has for us. And I will continue with this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 57th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. And the focus of this program was to speak about the potential manipulation that Mary and Martha could have been engaged in when they sent word to Jesus stating that the one who he loved was sick and that there was an expectation that Jesus would come and heal Lazarus before he died or before he suffered a lot more. And the manipulation had to do with the idea that if he did not respond, then they could declare that he was not as loving as he claimed to be. But he delayed because he wanted them to understand that he wanted to have a relationship with them that was defined in a different way. And I will explain this more in the next program. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you,